Good afternoon, life. Great to be back. Great to be able to bring the word of God to you. And uh, trusting that you'll hear the voice of God. So let's look at the word and uh, see what he has to say to us today. Matthew chapter 8. I'll read from verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such a great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you, many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done. And his servant was healed that same hour. Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for this word. And we thank you that through this word you're going to define our faith and our relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with you. We thank you that you will define and bring clarity to our walk and our faith in God. Thank you. Amen. First of all, I want to thank Pastor John and Pastor Kelsey for this great opportunity that they have given me and uh, want you to know that both of them are highly honored by Savi and myself and our family. I want you to know that we appreciate them, we honor them and we hold them in high esteem for all that they are to God, to the church, and to us. It's a pleasure and privilege to serve them and walk with them and see the kingdom of God advance. Okay, so I've been doing a series on Matthew and uh, I thought I'll share something of that series with you, just something very brief. Uh, it's been a long time since I have preached for so long. So, otherwise it's always been a 20-minute clip or a 
25 the maximum but i'll do my best to try and be what i was the original okay so here we go now you know in the in in the church there are we've got very familiar with certain doctrines we've got familiar with the language that we speak in terms of grace in terms of words like baptism baptism in the holy spirit uh life and all of that faith is one of these words that has got lost in our walk with god and so i thought i'll bring back certain uh elements and help you understand the essence of faith because what is most needed today as we walk in grace is faith i understand that pastor john has been teaching on anchoring your life in hope and you know that 1 corinthians chapter 13 says um now there are three things faith hope and love and the greatest of these is love but i want to take faith because all of them are held together by love we know that but faith is so essential to our walk in so much so that uh, hebrews 11:6 says without faith it is impossible to please god and we're going to look into that and we're going to look at hebrews 11:1 in a new way because that has become the definition of faith but today as we look at it we will see the holy spirit defining and bringing clarity to what faith is all about and i hope i believe you will be blessed so let's get here and see let me let me be a bit what i would call abstract or theological at the very beginning and then i come back to this story okay so what is faith as a philosophical question and if i ask anyone wherever i go if i'm in the midst of a in the church or on my left hand side are two lovely people if i ask them what is faith uh and if i ask you right now what is faith uh i can guarantee you there will be a little struggle in trying to define it and i'm not uh being arrogant about it or not being boastful about it even i would struggle if i've been asked that question put on the spot but i'm not going to put you on the spot or i'm not going to be rude or any such thing but just ask a question and then answer it what is faith and often times we understand faith let me tell you this everyone would go most christians would go to hebrews 11:1 now faith is the substance and and we know it so well we 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 quote it we paradise it we are so glib about it faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things unseen now when you say that we must understand that faith is very general every single person on the planet earth has faith every single person it takes faith to sit down on a chair it takes faith i was given a lift by 
this dear man Chris and uh, it took faith for me to sit in that car and come with him so that's what it's wherever whatever you do it takes faith and when we define faith through Hebrews 11:1 1, the question you must ask is okay if that's your definition then what is faith according to that definition because it says faith is the substance of things hoped for everybody hopes at the end of this year at the beginning of the year there will be people who will be having hopes but they can hope in anything and hope is a very general broad aspect of a value so hope in what because people can have hope in many things and they will then try to define their hope now we go to the next one if we if we're using hebrews 11:1 1, we say faith is the substance of things hope for the evidence of things unseen the evidence or the conviction that's one of the translations everyone has conviction and they're very abstract they're relative quite often uh, the values are different because what i would have as a conviction uh, may not be what you have as a conviction it's become so relative today and the field is like such a vast ocean that conviction upon conviction upon conviction whether it's political whether it is spiritual whether it is relational conviction values so what are the values and this is important to define and as i began to study this uh, i like to give you very simply two ways of understanding this faith is both a cognitive mindset which is important and intelligent judgment of facts and ascent into knowledge that's one aspect of it and it's important but when we do that we must realize that we are opening ourselves to something now for example if i say to you so if that's the case then somebody can say oh i have faith in black panther you know the black panther one of the heroes who lives in a place called wakanda yeah you know that right okay if you don't well you learned it today so i have faith in black panther who lives in this city called or rules over this city called wakanda now what does that mean to me does it do anything to me does it bring out a creative aspect of and that is an intellectual judgment that i have made maybe not based on facts and today people can base a lot of things outside of fact but i just want you to know that many people have faith and to them it's an intellectual assent or an intellectual judgment it sounds very much like the demons what do i mean by that well the bible says that you say you have faith even the demons have faith oh wow <laughs> they believe and by the way if you read 
Matthew's gospel in particular, or you read any of the gospels, these guys were able to define Jesus much more than even the disciples. When the disciples walked with him, they marveled and they said, who is this? And then when Jesus met the demons, you know what they said? What have you got to do with us, son of God? In other words, they knew who he was. They had faith in who he was and they also had faith. Now listen to this, in their future. He said, have you come to destroy us before time? That's amazing, isn't it? They, they had a belief and they trembled. But is that faith? What is the difference? Why, why is it that it's not faith? Because that faith did not give them the ability and the joy of knowing the grace of God. And knowing the liberty that they can have, the freedom, because they were already, they had made a choice. So now, what's the difference between some people who enjoy these Marvel comics and Marvel movies and say, wow, that's my hero. Does it do anything to you? On the other hand, let me give you another illustration. Are you ready for this? Okay, I say I have faith in a paracetamol. What does that mean? I know that when I take this paracetamol, it has been defined for a particular purpose. And when I take it, that purpose works in me. And immediately I know, hey, it's done something for me because I put my faith in something that has been defined with purpose and meaning. And so when I receive that into me, it works. Faith without works is dead, right? We know that. And now when I have faith in a paracetamol, I know it works. Now, do I have to know? Yes. How do I know about it? I read about it. That's the intellectual fact that comes before me. And then it proves itself because it is what it is. Now, what does the Bible say in Hebrews 11? It says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. So when I take the paracetamol, I believe that it is what it is. And then I know what it is because it works in me, for me and through me. Is that okay? I'll give you another little example, okay? It's like me putting faith. Now listen very carefully. So faith is faith in. Are you with me? Faith is faith in. And then you got to define and clarify what your faith is in. So I have faith in a pilot. And I have faith that this pilot can take me from point A to point B in a different sphere. Okay? But if I don't get into that little 
tube that he is taking me from point A to point B, my fate is over. That's again an intellectual assessment. Now, if I have faith in the pilot and I get into the plane, now watch this. This is very normal for a number of Christians, a number of people. I get into the plane now. I know that there is a pilot. And I know that there is a law that's going to operate that is higher than the law that already is in operation. That the law, the aerodynamic or the law of liftoff is higher and greater than the law of gravity. I know all that and the pilot is going to prove it to me as I jump into this plane and I sit down. Okay? Now here's the thing. If I don't sit in that plane in quietness and confidence of his ability, then the rest of my journey is going to be horrible. And a number of Christians are like that with, with the Lord, with Jesus. They have put their faith in him, but they're not at rest. And as a result of that, yes, because he is, now listen to this, because he is and because of his promise, he will take that person who's put his confidence in him from point A to point B. Because of who he is and not because of the faith of the person who is putting his faith in him. I hope you understood that. The moment you come and you put your faith in him. He will take you from point A to point B. Whether you enjoy the ride or not. Because that is his nature. And unfortunately, there are a number of Christians, number of people who are living like this. They have faith in Christ. But they're not enjoying the rest. In knowing that what he has promised he will do. And that is what the context of Hebrews 11 is because Hebrews 11 and Hebrews, the book of Hebrews speaks of the supremacy of Jesus. So when it speaks of faith is the substance of things hoped for, hoped in Jesus because he is the most supreme being of all. So my hope or the hope that has been spoken of there is not hope in anything but hope in Jesus and is the conviction of things unseen. The conviction not of anything that is around but the conviction of his life, his death, his resurrection and his ascension and ruling. So my conviction are based on those things that I have not seen. I have not seen him living his life 2,000 years ago. I did not see the crucifixion. I did not see the resurrection. I did not see the ascension. I do not see him seated at the right hand of the Father. But I am convinced of all of these things. So my faith, therefore, is a clear conviction of all that he has done for me. And now what do I do? 
without faith it's impossible to please him in other words i rest in that i hope you understood that that i want as an introduction i was asked to give an introduction for 19 minutes i think i've done well okay <laughs> but nine, i i i gave you that introduction for you to understand what we are about faith is a judgment of intellectual facts i don't deny that we need that but it is more than that it is faith in the trustworthiness of that fact faith is in that which does what it says are you with me in in this case it's jesus that's our faith he is the rock of our salvation he is the ground of our being in whom we live and move and have our being so we are confident of him in everything that we do now the elders as in hebrews 11 walked in faith and each one walked in their own faith in him or in god at that time in elohim in yahweh each not everyone walked the same walk they were all different noah had a different walk abraham had a different walk Joseph David they all had a different including Samson he had a strange walk but in the end hey listen he is a part of this chapter and says even he walked in faith now i'm not asking you to go and womanize and do all that nonsense that this guy got involved in i'm not saying that but what i want you to know is this This faith is nothing to do with what you do. This faith is about what he has done in which now he even gives you the power to have the conviction and convinced that he has done it for you. So let's look at the story now. Are you ready? So here comes the centurion. Now who is the centurion? A centurion is a soldier and not just a soldier he's got uh people under him he's got soldiers under him and he's a man of authority but listen this soldier this roman soldier comes to jesus a jew now don't forget that he is an enemy of the jews He's an enemy. Because why? Because if you read uh the history of the Jews, you would find that after Alexander the Great, they and the rise of Maccabees and the Hasmonean kingdom, the Jews had a period of 100 years of rest. For the first time, once again they lived autonomous of any other government. Then came the Romans. They colonized them. They sent their people of authority like Pontius Pilate and the Caesars and all of that. They came and they took over. And they hated the Romans. You know if you looked at the coin of that time, 
the currency. On one side of the coin, you would find Raspian, one of the Caesars, and they say, Imperial Lord of the World. That's on one side. On the other side, they would say, Victory of Augustus. Augustus was another name for Caesar. And guess what? There is a soldier with his foot on the neck of a Jew on that side of the coin. In other words, saying, you are our slave. Are you with me? So you can imagine now their anger and their hate towards the Romans. And here is this guy who is a man of authority, a soldier. He comes and listen to what he says. He says, Lord. What is the word? Lord. He knows that his Lord is Caesar. It's almost like treason for him to call someone else Lord. But he shifts his understanding of Lordship. And he says, Lord, my servant is sick and paralyzed. The word servant there is a bit ambiguous in the Greek understanding because it can meet, mean son and it can mean young man. So I, I like to take it as him saying, Lord, my son is sick and paralyzed. Will you come and heal him? How did he know? He would have heard. He would have assimilated and he would have received intellectual judgment of the facts of Jesus Christ. He would have heard about it because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So he would have heard people talking that there is a man called Jesus who goes about doing things and healing, raising the dead and all of that. And he comes, he takes these facts, he takes these intellectual judgment of his and now converts it into putting his faith in what he has heard of this man, Jesus. And notice what he says, Lord, my son is lying home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus, he, he's not even asking Jesus to come. He's not even asking. Many of our walk with many, many of our requests in our walk with God is an asking. It's not a believing. And why is that? Because what we know of Jesus has not yet become a reality within us. For us to just be able to tell him our issue and watch him do the rest. Did you get that? So here he comes and just simply has a chat with Jesus and says, my, my, my son, he's open. As I always teach nowadays, that faith is open-minded. It's not narrow, it's not dogmatic. It's willing to accommodate. And here he says, he just shares this and listen to what Jesus says. And if you read the Young's literal translation of the Bible, 
This is what it says. It's beautiful. I, having come, will heal him. I, having come, will heal him. In other words, what I have come to do is already finished. Having is the, is the past participle of the word have. It means it's accomplished, it's done. So even before he could have gone to the house, and this is the one you're putting your trust in, the one who is so sure of what he is doing. And now watch the dialogue. The centurion answered and said, second time, Lord, I am not worthy. So the first one is that this centurion, here's how faith operates. Are you ready to take a risk? Are you ready, am I ready to lay down and take a risk? Even if it challenges my very existence. Even if it challenges my reputation. Even if it challenges everything that I have lived for. When the rubber meets the road, will I have faith in? And this is what this man did. He was a Roman centurion. He was ready to take risks. And faith is all about risks. Another way that you spell faith is R-I-S-K. Not F-A-I-T-H. R-I-S-K. You remember that earlier on we read a story in Matthew again, in Mark and Luke and everywhere. We read the story of the paralytic, how the four friends carried this guy. They were ready to even break open the roof of somebody else. <laughs> Imagine that. That's because they were ready to take risks. For what? For their friend. Because faith is a community. Faith operates in a collective consciousness. This centurion is not asking help or not even sharing about himself. He's sharing about another. And Jesus gets attracted to this kind of faith. Because A, it's got risk. B, it's not about oneself asking for oneself but asking for another or making it known for another. And Jesus gets so attracted that immediately he moves into operation. So the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy. This is a centurion and he's speaking to a Jew, not even authorized by the synagogue, not an ordained minister, A rabbi, either self-declared or accepted by others. But he says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of you. So what's the next thing? Faith is about humility. Now, humility is not about discarding yourself and denying yourself and belittling yourself. That's not humility. Humility is accepting 
and understanding your place. That's what humility is all about. And this Roman centurion understood in the face of Jesus who he was. That's humility. When you and I understand our place in our walk with God, in our church, with our pastors, when we understand our place and we submit, now submission is not becoming a doormat to everyone. No, submission is about meekness. And guess what? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I have seen a lot. I've been in ministry for well over 30 years, and I've seen a lot of people who come and say, Pastor, I, I am this. I would love to be used by this. And so, in my understanding, I watch them. Sometimes I don't even take people into the worship team or the leadership. I don't take them for about four or five years. I watch them. And I see their walk. Why? Because, beloved, I want to see whether they are walking. Not because I want to test them. Not because I suspect them or don't trust them. No, I want to see whether they're walking within themselves. If a man is a teacher, does he walk as a teacher or does he try to walk as a prophet? Is a man, if a man is willing to serve, that's the first quality. Even lay down or, or lay tables or lay chairs for the meeting. Even if he's the most qualified person, is he able to walk in his place? Because every one of us is being designed by God. And when we walk out of that design, lots of trouble takes place. And we need to be careful. I know it happened to me. And I not suffered. Yeah, I could say I suffered. I lost ministry. I almost lost my family. Because I walked out of my place. Are you with me? Are you understanding? And as a result of that, I just walked through the valley of the shadow of death. But you know what? Even there, he was with me. Because that's where his promise is. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So when we try to walk in a place which is not ours, it's like a soldier trying to be a captain and a captain trying to be a colonel. When we walk outside of our rank, we need to understand, beloved, that things don't work for us, no matter how much of faith we have. And so this man begins to show humility. And as I said before, humility is not about decrying or belittling yourself. Humility is knowing who you are, as you are. And he says, I'm not worthy. And what does Jesus say? He says, I've already come. I've already come. Number three, for I also am a man under authority. Now this has been most misunderstood by a lot of us because 
it could be that he is saying i am under authority and now lifting himself to the same place where jesus is because he says having soldiers under me so i know what authority is about i know you're a man of authority because i'm a man of authority but actually what he is saying here is that i recognize the power that is in you that you walk in submission what and if you look at jesus that's true John chapter 5 verse 19 says I only do what I see my father do I only speak what I hear my father speak Jesus walked in submission Yes he's the son of man yes he's the son of god but within the godhead there is a place now the only one who doesn't submit is the father study that and see Now it doesn't mean that they're belittling themselves they're all equal but they know their place the son knows his place the father knows his place the spirit knows his place and so they walk together equal god but within their place now isn't it amazing that this man a soldier of the roman emperor understands who jesus is maybe he watched jesus he heard him he heard his words and he began to put his trust in those words and as a result of that he says i understand now watch what jesus says listen when he heard it he marveled and said to those who followed in other words there were people around him right maybe is even his own disciples because they have just come down from the mountain top in chapter 7 verse 29 multitudes and even in chapter 1 of uh, chapter 8 verse 1 they came down multitudes followed him so the multitudes are continuing with him and he looks at them and he says i have not found such a man of faith yeah such great not in all israel wow can you just imagine i lo- i love to imagine i love when i read the word of god to allow imagination to run not right but run around me so that i can get a clearer picture of what's happening can you just imagine these guys these jews saying what we know we have the torah with us we know yahweh We know Elohim. What are you saying about this Roman soldier who doesn't who is a pagan? But Jesus says, "I've not seen." He further goes on to say, "Many will come from east and west, sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven." You know what he's doing? He's opening the community of god to everyone he's not parochial he's not a bigot he's opening the community of god and saying the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of god is bigger than your own little church 
the kingdom of God. You know, you, I, I think of this, how we have families and how our relationship with that family is based on our genes or the blood or you got to marry someone to get into that family. And within that circle, you have a family. And then when we have events, and when we have important events, only the family is invited. But all the others around, no way. You've got to do something to become a part of that family. But here Jesus is saying, listen, it's open, it's free. At some point of time, maybe next time, if your pastor thinks this is a good word and wants me back, I will teach you about what it means to be a, a community that is bounded and a community that is centered. We learn that. But, <laughs> but for now, just understand this. The kingdom of God is bigger than our little ministries, than our Little, it's a speck in the ocean. Try taking water from the ocean with a spoon is what we are trying to do with the kingdom of God in our walk with God. So here we are. Now, again, a misinterpreted verse. Verse 12. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. Oh, there you are, Neil. There you are, Pastor. Talking about hell. Well, sorry to disappoint you. That's not about hell. In fact, I take offense. Honestly, I began to take offense, not in the wrong way. But theologically, I take offense when hell is brought into the picture to try and explain God's salvation. And unfortunately, there is a lot of teaching going on that if you don't do this, if you don't behave like this, if you don't walk like this, and if you don't receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're going to hell. It's frightening people. It's called a fear tactic. It's the news of the fearful. It's a psychological, spiritual activity that is being imposed on people. But this is not about hell. By the way, if this, is the, if this is about hell, and if we think the way we think about hell, then hell will be more populated than heaven at the rate things are going on now. This is not about hell. This is about Jesus. It's a warning. And no doubt, Jesus warns, but not with hell. He is warning people of a lost opportunity to be closer in the light. That's what it's saying here. The word outer darkness, the word cast out into outer darkness is going back from the light, not out of the kingdom, because he doesn't say there, he says the sons of the kingdom. And by the way, every time Jesus speaks about this kind of warning, you know to whom he's speaking to? He's speaking to the sons of the kingdom, to the Jews, to those who follow him, never to the non-believer. When he speaks to the non-believer, he speaks of love, 
of gentleness, of grace, of compassion. But when he speaks to these people, and what is, it, what is the purpose of this? Because he knows that they think they know that they are knowing more than others know. I hope you count a number of no's there. And so he's saying to them, hey, listen, just because you are a son of the kingdom does not give you privileges and rights. There's a possibility of you losing out opportunities. That's all that he's saying here. He's not threatening them with hell. He's not threatening them. He's simply warning them of the sorrow. And then to rob Saul to the wound, he turns around to the centurion and he says, go your way. <laughs> go your way. As you have believed, so let it be done to you. And guess what? Watch this. The servant was healed or the son was healed. That same hour. Within an hour, healing took place. Why? Because Jesus said, I having come. That means I'm already there. I've already taken myself to where your son is and I've healed him. Isn't that amazing? That's the Jesus you and I can trust. That's faith. To trust and put our faith in this awesome person rather than values and virtues and philosophies. This is a person. God in person. We are going through a new season now as we come into December. It's all about incarnation. And by the way, incarnation is different to the nativity story, okay? Please remember that. The nativity story is only about how it happened. But incarnation is the result of how it, why it happened. And incarnation is based on compassion. And I would like you to understand that. Because compassion, if you study the word compassion in both Hebrew and Greek, you would understand that compassion has identification, has involvement, and has investment. And all three Jesus did. He came and identified himself. See, compassion is not about, and I'm not going into another message, I'm just trying to stir your faith up. But compassion is not you and I looking at something and saying, oh, how sad. And maybe shed some tears. You know, like we go for the funeral and we say, oh no, it should not have happened. Shed tears and come away. That's it. That's not compassion. Compassion is not seeing a situation and saying, I'll pray about it. That's the easiest excuse. Compassion is about identifying yourself with the situation. It's an empathy, not a sympathy. It's both empathy and sympathy, but identify. Then it's not just identifying the situation and watch what Jesus did. He identified the situation and he got involved in the situation. Even before he could be asked, he got involved. And then he invested. 
You know what he invested? It's like Isaiah 61.3. He gives us beauty instead of, not for. It's not, the word is not for. It's instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning, not for. And the garments of praise instead the spirit of heaviness. He invests in us what he is. And all that he is, he pours into us. And that is why we have a conviction. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence or the conviction of things unseen. Today, no matter what you're going through, if you know this, all you have to do, three things. One is recognize and come to him. You don't have to plead with him. You don't have to beg of him. All you have to do is come to him and say, what do you want to say? The centurion pleaded because he did not have a relationship. He may have been even afraid and skeptical of whether Jesus would respond. But here, with you, all you have to do is come to him and tell him. You don't even have to ask him. Just tell him what it is and see what happens. Be humble. Place yourself in that position which enables you to receive whatever the blessing is. And finally, learn to accept his authority above your own individual self-motivated authority. And when we do this, we will have risen. I guarantee you that. So whatever your position is right now, whatever your situation is right now, I bless you and I declare that you're free because Jesus said that. Now you've got to have faith in that. Not in my word, but in his word. In him, have faith and be convicted and be convinced and hope for things in him. See what happens. I look forward to listening to some testimonies that you placed your faith in him. This is what happened. Be healed, be reconciled, be delivered, be set free, have financial freedom and enjoy. Don't say yes. I believe, get into the plane and then be restless with that, go from point A to point B. Sit down in the plane, run around, drink all that they can give you, eat all that they can give you, watch the movies, relax. Don't even take a tablet to put yourself to sleep because you're afraid. Just rest in Him. The ride is amazing, no matter what turbulence hits you. The pilot knows where he's taking you. Anchor yourself in him, the hope of your salvation. Love you, bless you, have a great year to come and a wonderful season.